Matthew chapter 4, we begin reading in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of our Lord. May he give us wisdom and understanding as we consider it this morning. As we consider Jesus preparation for and example to us in his ministry that is coming. I want us to look at these temptations and just a few words of comment before we actually dive into this text. First, I want you to note that in the context of what Matthew is doing for us, he's shown us a picture of the Trinity with Christ Revealed to us as the obedient son, the father is the speaking father, the spirit is the anointing spirit. And now immediately in chapter 4, we are introduced to the devil. He's called for us here, the devil, Satan, and in verse 3, the tempter. Showing us what his function is to us, to Jesus. And I want you to note as we get in here, these are real temptations for our king that he must face here at the beginning of his ministry, which will test his resolve to obey the Father's will, and they prepare him for the myriad of attacks that will come throughout his ministry, all the way through his passion, his death, burial, and resurrection. So while you read this, it's not as if Satan comes to Jesus here in the wilderness and tempts him and then he's done. He never tempts him again. I believe Satan's attacks on Jesus will go all the way to the cross with him. He will tempt him all the way into the garden where Jesus is going to cry out to the Lord, If there's any other way, Lord, let it be, but not my will, yours be done. Here at the beginning of his ministry, Matthew is going to show us the temptation of our Savior so that we will not wonder from the very beginning, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the king who will be king forever and who's come to save his people from their sins. He will not fail. He will not turn. His resolve to go to the cross and raise from the dead to be your savior and mine, to be the king eternal is set. He is determined to obey the father. But you and I need to know we learn from Jesus because he is tempted here and his temptations are real. And so we learn much from him along those lines. Once again, in this text, I want you to note our king is identifying with us. We who often experience temptation have a king who is not unlike us, but he has become, he has taken on flesh to become fully man, even though fully God, fully man, fully God in one person, one being, he is the God man to 
identify with you and identify with me. Hebrews chapter 4 calls him our great high priest, the one who will sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he is one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. So let's learn from him as we walk in this way of Christ as we who out of chapter 3 learning about repentance and coming to Christ in faith as we know we will be tempted too let's learn from our Savior now one more thing before we jump in I want you to note two parallels that will help you understand this text we need to understand who Jesus is we've been being taught that but I just want to bring those back up to us so that they help us understand Matthew 4 in the context of Matthew's gospel first Jesus has been presented to us and certainly is in this text as the new Adam In other words, as we go back to Genesis, you and I are born in the first Adam. And because we are born as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we have inherited by nature we are sinners. And so we are sinners, I say often, by nature and by choice. Just by being born in the first Adam, all that are born in the first Adam are sinners. We actually choose sin because we are sinners by nature and so we need a Savior. And Jesus has come as the second Adam, the new Adam, and He will not fail like the first Adam. And so we see many parallels here between Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve in the garden and when they are tempted and they fail and Jesus here in the wilderness as he is tempted and yet does not fail. We must be born in the second Adam. So today when we come to the close of our service all of us will identify with temptation because we are born in the first Adam and I'm hoping today to hold up the second Adam that you and I can trust in him, believe in him, take his righteousness upon us and then take the power of the cross to help us defeat temptation and overcome it in our lives and so we learn the gospel power from Jesus Christ here the second Adam who has come and will not fail secondly Jesus is also the true son of God he is not only the new Adam but he is the true son of God there are parallels here between Jesus and Israel we made mention of those already God bringing Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, and then into the promised land. We made a comment about it last week, how they were baptized in the Red Sea. That was the baptism of them. And then they were taken in the wilderness where they too were tempted and tested. And as a matter of fact, every time Jesus quotes Scripture here in Matthew chapter 4, He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, Moses preaching to the people and All of the instances that he's quoting in Deuteronomy are talking about the people's experience in the wilderness. Jesus quoting the word of God from the children of God in the wilderness as Jesus is in the wilderness resisting temptation, whereas Israel did not. As a matter of fact, if you go back in Exodus chapter 4, when God is telling Moses to go to Pharaoh, he he says to Moses, you tell Pharaoh this, this is what Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son. So Israel was called the Son of God and they failed in the wilderness and they did not obey God. And so He brought judgment and they stayed there 40 years before He would bring them into the promised land. The question for us, if Jesus is the true Son of God and He has been presented to us as such, right? We just read the end of chapter 3 last week and God the Father calls Him the Son of God. If He is the true Son of God, will He resist temptation? There is the question. And so we're presented in chapter 4 the new Adam, the true Israel. And Jesus is going to show us what the true Israel, the true Son of God, will do. And so, one more comment and then we'll jump in. These temptations come then as a result of Jesus' acceptance of His divine sonship. 
Father speaks, this is my beloved Son with whom I am pleased. The Spirit anoints and Jesus is accepting His position, His task, the one that is set before Him to seek and to save that which is lost, to save those who are His own. And so He is accepting that position, accepting that task. And these temptations don't become because of doubts about who He is. I believe He is tempted Not that Jesus is in the wilderness thinking, am I really the Son of God? I think Jesus' acceptance of, I am the Son of God. He knows who He is. And because He knows who He is in the Father, in the Trinity, that He will be tempted based on that position, that task, that identity. It is not insignificant then that these temptations happen at the beginning of His ministry because they are temptations which will reflect his own understanding of who he is and what he has come to do. So I want to use my time with us this morning to go through what I believe would be a great um, way for us to look at this text. Seven questions about temptation. I want you to walk through the text with me and just want you to answer with me this morning. Seven questions about temptation. And so let's jump in. Verse 1 is very significant to us. Verse 1 and 2 help us to understand much of the context of this temptation. So let's jump there first. First question, what is temptation? What is temptation? The verb here in the Greek would literally mean to test. It can be used in a good sense and sometimes is in the Bible. A good sense being that a test is applied with the intention that people would pass. If I were giving a test with the full intention, I know that you're going to pass. I know that you can. And so I'm going to give you a test so that you'll pass. That is a, a kind of a good sense. And we would interpret that as you're tested. However, most often in the Bible, this word, this verb is used in an evil sense or with negative connotations. In other words, the intention is not that you're going to pass. I'm going to put this upon you and the intention is for you to fail. It is so often used like that, that the participle of this very word used for us in verse 3 is translated for us into English, tempter. So that Satan is actually called the tempter, not the tester. He has no intention for you to pass the test. His intention when he tempts you, when he tries to draw you away, is to draw you to disobedience to God. And so when we think about temptation, when we think about what it is and what it encompasses, we know that it is an evil use. It is an evil intent of here, the devil, of any enemy of ours to get us to fall. So if I could define temptation for you, I would define it like this. Temptation is any thought, idea, situation, or experience. Thought, idea, situation, or experience put before me that intends or leads to my disobedience to God. It is any thought that I have. It's any idea that's put in front of me, in my mind, or before me that I would read or see or hear. It is any situation or experience that is put before me that I get to experience that would intend my disobedience toward God. As such, you and I need to realize that temptation is always initiated in my heart. The aim is always my heart because that is where I begin sin. We'll talk about this much more when we get in the Sermon on the Mount. But you understand today, my friend, you can sin in your heart and not sin in your body. But you cannot sin in your body without first having sinned in your heart, in your worship, in your thoughts, at the level of your affections. So if my sin always begins in my heart, even though it may not end there, then temptation is always aiming at my heart. Whether through physical senses, 
Something I see, something I hear, something I taste or touch, psychological thoughts, ideas or thoughts in my head, or emotional feelings. However they come in, the aim is that my heart would turn against God because in my heart I disobey God first, then in my actions. So what is temptation? It's any thought, idea, situation, or experience put before me that intends my disobedience to God. So who tempts us? Well, look at verse 1 with me. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't mean this to be a trick question when I ask this. Jesus is led up by the Spirit, but he's to be tempted by the devil. We'll talk about this in just a moment about what real spiritual warfare is. But what you need to hear is he is being tempted by the devil. In this very passage, the devil is called by his names. The devil, Satan, or the tempter. He is the adversary. He is the accuser. That's it, literally what he is. He is coming before us to accuse us, to lead us away from our God. The Bible teaches that we have three enemies, and I often use them in my classes or in counseling, and you need to hear them today. You have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But in those three enemies, what you and I need to understand is all of our temptations are built on the lies of Satan, who is the father of lies. So while your flesh may act as your enemy, it is only an enemy in that it's following the lies of Satan. John Owen, great Puritan pastor, used to say this, There is no sin birthed in your life that does not have Satan as its father and your own flesh as its mother. In other words, the lies are from Satan, but where sin will be played out is in our flesh, in our lives, the way that we live. And so even though our flesh is an enemy, it's only an enemy as it follows the lies of the accuser, the devil, Satan. So what about the world? The world is our enemy because it is the realm of Satan. It is only our enemy in that the world is under the power of Satan and would draw us away from God. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. He This is his realm. And as you look around, it's very clear to see that there are many under his power that have succumbed to the power of the enemy. But make no mistake about it, when we ask who tempts, you need to know the one who tempts you. He is the devil. He is Satan. But he is not omnipotent, all-powerful. He is not omniscient, all-knowing. Nor is he omnipresent. Only our God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Only our God is everywhere, knows everything, and has all power. Satan does not. But make no mistake, he has thousands of years of practice seeing human beings respond to his temptations. And he is an expert at tempting you and me. He has thousands of angels that have fallen from grace and fallen from obedience to Christ because they have been deceived at some point and followed his lead away from God and fell and they will do his bidding and they tempt us. So we do have the devil, all of his minions. We have the world under the power of Satan and we have our flesh that so often is partnership with Satan to tempt us. Make no mistake, all temptation and all sin falls back to the devil. The devil is a spiritual being, so we must state this morning that spiritual warfare is real. Now listen, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. It's not the point of this sermon, but I want you to listen carefully. There is a spiritual realm that is just as real as the physical realm. Let me say that again so that you don't miss it. There's a spiritual realm in which you do spiritual battle. There's spiritual battle going on right now in this place for your thoughts, for your affections, for your feelings, for your beliefs, for your obedience to Christ. And that spiritual realm where spiritual warfare takes place is just as real as the physical realm that you and I can see and touch and hear and feel right now. 
there are spiritual beings that interact with your spirit and they interact with each other. As a matter of fact, if we read the Word of God and listen about what the Word says about the spiritual realm, uh, as David Platt says when he's preaching through Matthew 4, there are beings that would horrify us if we were able to see them. And there are spiritual beings that if we were to see them, we would be awed by their majesty because they do the bidding of the King who is eternal. There is a spiritual realm and there is spiritual warfare going on in your life and in mine right now. Go back to verse 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit of God who had just anointed Jesus led him into this temptation into this spiritual warfare that he is about to face. Mark says the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. So the devil is the one who tempts. Well, who is tempted? Well, all of us. All sons of Adam are tempted. Because we are sinners by nature, we are susceptible to temptation. We're susceptible to following after our own nature, our own flesh, and the devil who would lead us away from God. There is a spiritual battle going on within you all the time, which is vying for your love and your worship. Russ Moore, in a great book that I would recommend to you called Tempted and Tried, Russ is the president of our Ethics and Religious Life Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, just recently wrote this book called Tempted and Tried. He says there, you might be on the verge right now of wrecking your life now, right now, and even more so if you don't know that you are under temptation. Temptation is something that is upon us, and we are struggling with it all the time. Since Adam in the garden, we are all born in him, and because we're sinners by nature and by choice, we are always being drawn away by our enemies. Who is tempted? You are. I am. Well, why are we tempted? Well, notice in verse 1, the Spirit led him up. The same spirit that anointed him led him up. There was a divine purpose in the temptations. So that while you and I cannot say God is our tempter, God cannot tempt. Indeed, he is not capable of doing so, but he can purpose our temptation. And excuse me, he can purpose the temptation of our adversary for our testing. And you need to know that. That while God is not the tempter, he may be leading us into places where temptation would come because he is doing something in us. God would clearly purpose the temptation of his son such that his spirit would lead Jesus into the wilderness. So today, if you are in temptation, one of these temptations is going to be, as you read it in just a moment, to not even know or acknowledge the presence of God. Know that he's there. Know that he can use even your temptations for his glory. As a matter of fact, Leon Morris in his commentary says this, God can use efforts of evil people and even of Satan himself to set forward his purposes. And so because you need to know our sovereign God in the midst of this temptation and he is divinely purposing what's going on, you need to hear this. There is nothing that will enter your life, nothing ever under any circumstances that will enter your life that has not crossed over the desk of our God first. He is sovereign and he must approve anything that comes into your life so that while he does not tempt you he is in sovereign control over the temptation that you will enter into satan is the tempter and he is too under the sovereign control of our god so you and i are tempted and we need to acknowledge that our temptation could be the wreck of our 
lives. And so why then would he do this? Well, from God's perspective, temptation is allowed as part of a testing for a purpose. I believe we are purposed to declare and display the glory of God, to declare his glory and display his glory through now us in the New Testament, the the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so temptation was the means that God is going to use here to in Jesus' life to accomplish and to clarify his own special purpose, Jesus' mission in life. We'll see that in just a moment and how these temptations specifically point to his mission throughout his whole entire ministry. So he was preparing him and in us, temptation will prepare us for what is to come. Of course, Jesus didn't need the second reason I'm going to bring you, but in the Bible we know that we are tempted and our temptations and our testings and our trials, they lead to our sanctification, our faith being strengthened. So your temptation actually has a purpose of God in that He's strengthening you. Listen to James 1, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness when it has taken its full effect will leave you, lead you into perfection and completion, lacking in nothing. You are tempted because God is growing you. He's doing something in you. He is strengthening you for his purpose, which is to declare and display his gospel. So he's preparing you and he's sanctifying you, as it were, for the mission he's given you. Display, declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you're tempted. For your growth. For God's glory. When are we tempted? Well, it could happen at any time, as I've already said. But I want you to go back to the passage with me and I want to note three particular situations in your life and in mine in which temptation is there's a higher level of vulnerability to temptation in these three conditions three conditions in the text that offer us a warning to expect temptations look at it with me First, come out of chapter 3, what has just happened. Jesus has had this wonderful spiritual experience in which the Trinity shows up. The Son's obedience, the Father speaking, the Spirit anointing, and they have this wonderful display of the Trinity. Experience with Jesus, confirming His ministry, preparing Him to go forward into this temptation. But after a great spiritual experience, often comes great temptation. So if God has done something great in your life and you have had a a great spiritual experience with the Lord, here's what I want to say to you. Expect temptation following that. When you surrender yourself more than ever to the King of Kings, Satan is going to fight you to question that very decision. So after those great experiences, when someone comes forward and they're baptized or they come forward and they confess Christ or they come forward and they confess sin and, and recommit their life, I always end by telling them, Satan does not not like what you've just done so expect him to attack tomorrow expect him to make you question everything that you've done you will wake up at some point and you'll wonder what have I done after such a physical or excuse me spiritual experience with Christ you should expect some kind of temptation there's no coincidence here that this comes right after his baptism where the trinity was present the affirmation of his identity and calling was there and now he is tempted so will you be secondly When we're physically weak. Notice Jesus has been in 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. And the Bible says at the end of chapter or verse 2, he was hungry. When you are physically weak, expect the tempter to maximize his abilities to make you fall. Be on guard when you are weak. When there's a weakness in your life, then know that the tempter is going to try to make you fall. And then finally, when we are alone. When we are alone. 
Spirit of God led him into the wilderness where no doubt he's alone there. And when you are alone, the tempter has ability to come to you because they're not brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not those who would hold you up, who would encourage you, who would challenge you, who would hold you and walk beside you. So when you're alone, expect him to come and to work. So then finally, as we move on in the text, how are, excuse me, how are we tempted? How are we tempted? Look at it with me. There are three temptations in this text in verses 3 through, 11, 3 through 10, excuse me, and I want to walk through those with you. How are we tempted? Some of you are going to look at these and say, well, I wouldn't be tempted like Jesus. Remember here with me, Jesus is the Son of God. So some of the temptations that are put on Him physically would never be temptations to you, but the principles that Satan is pulling out in Jesus, the Son of God who's fully man, fully God, they still will tempt us. So look at them with me. First in verse 3, The tempter came and said to him in the wilderness, in his weakness, the tempter comes and says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I don't think that Satan is wondering if he's the son of God. I think Satan really knows his identity. So I don't think the if there, this conditional is, if you are, then show me, prove it to me. I don't think he would ever believe that that Jesus would be tempted to prove to Satan anything. I think what he's saying is, you are the son of God, and since you are the son of God, then don't be hungry. Why would the Son of God, why would God the Father let God the Son be hungry? Why are you hungry? Take those stones and turn them to bread. His temptation here is asking us this question. Will you use your divine power to fulfill the desires of your flesh? You're God's Son. You deserve better than this. He's doing the same thing, I believe, that He was doing with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was questioning God's love and care for Him. If you are the Son of God, why are you not fed? God doesn't care for you. I do. I can tell you. I believe you can. Take the stones and turn them to bread so that you can have something to eat. And you would say to me today, well, pastor, I'm not tempted to pick up stones and turn them to bread. Well, obviously, you can't do such. But you can use the power that you have and the authority that you have to fulfill the desires of your own flesh. So while you're not tempted to pick up stones and turn them to bread, it is possible for you to gratify your own flesh with the power that you have. So listen carefully to me. It is possible for me to eat one more serving or, as it were, one more Krispy Kreme donut. Go into gluttony. It is possible for me to be consumed by anger thoughts and even to act on them when someone treats me unfairly. It is possible for me to have unmentionable thoughts when my eyes look at a lady that is not my wife. It is possible for me to click on that pornographic website and stay there and enter into sin. It is possible for me to make a phone call or have that conversation or share a meal that leads toward an illicit sexual relationship because I believe it will bring me true satisfaction. It is possible for me to spend my money gambling or in some other manner attempt to get rich quick. It is possible for me to click the remote and spend my time watching TVs, movie, and other entertainment. It is possible for me to just go out and play or watch recreational sports so that I don't obey God and just gratify the lust of my flesh. It is possible for me to lazily sit around, watch the sun travel from one end of the sky to the other throughout the day, just me dreaming or perhaps sleeping the days away and not serving my Savior. It is possible for me to fill my body with drugs or other substances that make me feel good or maybe lessen the hurt of the events of my life, just waiting on the next day or just waiting on the next fix. 
It is possible for me to spend money on things that satisfy my flesh. Spend time on things that satisfy my flesh. Spend thoughts on things that satisfy my flesh. It is possible for you to fall to this very temptation. God doesn't really love you. He has not provided what would satisfy you. So you must use your power and your authority to satisfy yourself. That is possible. And you are tempted to do so over and over and over again. So the question for you is, will you use the authority and resources God has given you to serve Him and accomplish the mission that He has given you? Or will you use them to serve yourself and gratify your own fleshly desires? Be your desires for power, prestige, pleasure, possessions, or anything else. Now note here before we move that bread was not bad in and of itself. Satan was not saying create something evil. Bread is good and we know that we need it. And so what does Jesus do? He quotes Deuteronomy to defend or to um, uh, overcome the temptation. Verse 4, but he answered, it is written. He's going to quote for us Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want you to listen to verses 2 and 3 to get the context of what Jesus is quoting. And Matthew's remembering here for us from Jesus' account of it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, Moses preaching, reminding the people of God's purpose and his provision, his care for them, says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might, listen, humble you, Testing you these 40 years in the wilderness so that you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and then fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is quoting for us scripture that says God humbled the people to remind them you are dependent on me for everything and I'm going to feed you but this physical food is not the primary thing that you need you need my provision my care and trust me I'm going to give it it's much better than any physical food that you have and so you and I can overcome temptation in that we would know our God would provide for every need. And we'll get there even as Jesus will preach the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be there in a few weeks. Don't worry about where these things come from. Your God will provide them for you. Well, listen, had Jesus succumbed to this very temptation to satisfy his fleshly desire here after only 40 days without food, what would have been the hope of him submitting to the scorn and physical tor- torture and death on a cross for those he came to save? No, he is trusting God and he's living upon his trust and faith in his Father and the God who has sent him as the Son to accomplish his mission. So Jesus had resisted here the first temptation on the basis that God supplies our every need. And it's to that very belief that Satan now turns. Temptation number 2, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and he quotes scripture, Psalm 91, a psalm of protection. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands... They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Let me paraphrase that so we can understand what he's saying. Took Jesus up this very high place on the temple and said, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down and let's just prove it. Let's show that God the Father is going to protect you. Because Psalm 91 says, he's not even going to let you stub your toe. So just jump off and let's see what he does. So now the temptation has changed. The question here is, will Jesus Jesus use his position, his power, to display pointless miracles? If you are, then throw yourself down. 
Satan is quoting here this, this psalm of protection. He's saying, you know that the Father will protect you. Let's just see if he does protect you. And so Jesus then again quotes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7. He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting here in Deuteronomy 6 in an incident that Moses is speaking about. The incident at Massah where the Israelites were short on water. And they complained about Moses. And Moses asked the people, why do you put the Lord your God to the proof, to the test? Later on, Moses is speaking about this very thing. And just a couple of verses later, and he says, the people are asking, is the Lord among us or not? I believe the temptation here is for Jesus to say, is God with you? Will he do what he says? Will he keep his promises? So do this needless thing. Jump off of this temple. Don't go to the cross. Don't wait till then to see if God's going to protect you and raise you from the dead. Do it now. See if God's presence is with you now. So had Jesus thrown himself over, he would have acted presumptuously concerning God's promise of protection. Presumption upon the miraculous help of the Lord whose presence is promised, should never be tested, but trusted. You and I can see the promise, excuse me, the presence of the Lord and the way that He has kept His promises with us, so don't test the Lord on that. Trust Him on it. He's done it. He will do it in the future. And so we trust Him there. Had Jesus succumbed to this temptation to presume upon God's care for Him while on the top of this high place, would He not have wondered about God's care for Him when He faced the cross? Would he have called the 10,000 angels who could have rescued him from the Romans and escaped, and him escaped the agony of death? But no, he would not presume upon the care of the Lord. He knew that power was there and he, promised, or he trusted the promises and the presence of our great God. So you and I, sometimes we will ask things like, Lord, I would trust you if... Now, we don't say that out loud because it's not appropriate to other believers. We can't, we can't talk about our doubt, but we would say it in our hearts. God, I'm not sure where you are. Where are you, God? Do you, are you, do you know where I am? Do you know what I'm going through? And so sometimes we'll presume upon God's promises and not trust His presence in your life. You are tempted to question God's presence and perhaps even God's purpose in your life. Rest in His promises and His provision. Remember what He's done in the past. Remember His promises to the people of God, to Jesus, to the apostles, to the early church, and even in your life and mine. Trust His promises and His provision. He is with you and He will never leave you. Temptation number three. This is a temptation to exalt and worship ourselves over God. In verse 8, Satan came again and took Him to a high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the earth and all of their glory, their splendor. Can you imagine? I, I think this calls for us to maybe for a moment ponder. And I'm not going to answer this, so I'm just going to ask you to ponder. Did God physically take Him there or did He take Him there in His mind? I'll go back and say the temptation either way was real because it started in His heart. And so whatever it was, He took Him, He showed Him all the kingdoms of the world, all their splendor, and then He makes this incredible promise to Jesus. He says, all these I give you if you will fall down and worship me. All of them I give you if you'll fall down. Here's the question before Jesus. Will you follow God's will to establish his kingdom or will you choose another perhaps easier, less painful way? You see, the cross is laying in front of Jesus. There is an exaltation that has been promised to Jesus. Satan is promising him an immediate exaltation. Jesus saw all the kingdoms of the earth. He could bring help to them right now. He could bring justice and righteousness. He could bring morality and equality now instead of later. 
Russ Moore, in the book that I've already mentioned, says this, Jesus refused to exchange the end-time exaltation by the Father for a right-now exaltation of a snake. And that's what you and I are tempted to do always. We're tempted to take the short way, to do something that is unethical or unhonest or immoral in order to get somewhere that we might even be able to justify. In other words, there were some commentators that were saying, for us, the, the, um, the end here would be for us to justify the ends uh, by the, or the means because of the ends. And so we might cheat to get ahead because we think, well, I'll give more. We might be dishonest to get a position because we think I'll be able to influence more. And that is never the way to go. Jesus has promised here a rule, a kingdom, to be a ruler, which is what is promised to him in the end. But Satan says, you have to serve me and I'll give it to you now. Now church, this could be very well something that tempts all of us more than many cultures in history. Because more than many cultures in history, we have the now, I've got to have it right now mentality. And so we often will take a short way to get to maybe even something we think would be pleasing to God. But it's not. Listen, the promise here is serve the devil and rule the world. And Jesus is promised and He's going to rule the world. Now He's saying, I'll give it to you now. Serve the devil now and you can rule the world. Had Jesus done this, He was promised a real authority over the splendor of the kingdoms of the world. But it would have been a derived authority, not an all-encompassing authority. So we too are tempted to take this short way, maybe the easy way, instead of the longer, more difficult road to bring glory to God. Make no mistake, God has a plan for you a son and daughter of the eternal king, but Satan will tempt you to grasp for glory now. Glory that is not your glory. And so we come with this attitude, do whatever it takes to get position and power so that you can help people even. You justify the means because you think that the ends do so. Listen, had Jesus faltered here, here and offer to be a savior without a cross, a king without suffering, our substitute without punishment. He would have certainly failed in the garden when he was yet again tempted, but he chose to drink the bitter cup of the Father's wrath for your salvation and mine. He did not falter here. He would have lost his focus of the joy that was set before him and would never have endured the shame of the cross to redeem a people for himself, and yet he did not fail. He gives us the wonderful example encouragement, righteousness of looking at Satan and saying, I will not, I will not serve Satan. I will not go your way. Be gone, Satan. The path set before him might have been made to seem more costly for the long path, but the path before him in the moment was shown to be simpler or easier. But what we know and what Jesus knew is that path that looked simpler and easier ultimately would lead to destruction. It was a deadly path to worship Satan. To commit evil in anything is to serve the enemy. God's way to accomplish his mission may seem more costly to you in the moment. But ultimately, it is not only the best way, it is the only way to glorify our King. Listen to me, the acceptance of any evil, not just grave evil, the acceptance of any evil in an attempt to become what God wants you to become or do what God commands you to do is ultimately bowing down and serving the devil and will end in your destruction. 
It's worth noting here, by the way, that Satan offered Jesus kingship and authority over kingdoms of the earth by bowing down and worshiping him. But when we go to the end of the book, we're going to read Jesus who has all authority not only on earth, he has all authority in heaven and on earth and has been given to him because he took the way of obedience to the Father and became our Savior and is King forever through sacrificing himself to redeem a people, defeating death, hell, and the grave and Satan and all of his temptations. So that is how we are tempted. Finally, how do I resist it then? How do I resist temptation? Stay with me. He quotes Scripture over and over. We should not overlook the fact that while Jesus was tempted to do something quite beyond our ability, He does not cite a text here that applies to the Messiah only. He cites texts that apply to all of us. It's God's Word. Now listen, today... If everything that we've said thus far is true, you, I, struggle with temptation. There is no hope for us if we don't follow the steps of our Savior. So I want to say this very plainly and as clear as I can to you. If you are going to battle temptation, you must know the Scriptures. I praise the Lord for our kids studying in Awana and memorizing Scripture. I think that's great, but it's time for some of us adults to say, I'm falling to temptation because I don't have a sword. I'm falling to the enemy because I have nothing to fight him with. And the Bible says that the sword, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It's what God uses to help you defeat and fight temptation in your life. And God forbid that you and I don't know it. So meditate on it. Read it. Some of you need to make a commitment this morning to say, I'm just going to read the scripture, much less memorize it, meditate it. That's never come to my mind. I just want to start reading it this week, then start. Some of you need to go further, meditate on it, write it down on a card, take it with you, look at it four, five, ten times, twenty times a day. Meditate on a scripture where God has given you His promises, provision, who He is, everything about Him. He has given us a book to know who He is and all about His kingdom and all about His world and all about what is to come. You and I ought to get into it and yet for many of us I'm afraid that you may have just opened your Bible for the first time since last Sunday morning when you were sitting in a church. God forbid. You have no hope against temptation. You will be defeated. Jesus quotes Scripture to defeat the devil. To stand strong against the tempter, the accuser. And you and I must do the same. Finally, in James chapter 4, we read a little bit about how you and I get through temptation and sin. And James is speaking to us about the turning to God and trusting Him. And he says, God gives us grace in this battle. And he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Put yourselves under God. Humble yourself before Him. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your gloom, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. What James is saying is pray out. Cry out to God for grace. Submit yourself to Him. Resist the devil. Listen to this. Be wretched and mourn over your sin. For some of you this morning, you're caught in sin right now. If you were honest and your life were open before us, what would be seen is a life that is wrecked almost on the end of falling off because of sin in your life. Come to God. Confess your sin. Humble yourself before Him. Resist the devil. Cleanse your hearts. Purify, or cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. And He says, mourn over your sin. Be sorry that you're sinning against God. Stop laughing about everything and mourn. When's the last time you wept over your own sin and your own vulnerability to fall to temptation? 
think the Bible would call us here to follow after Christ and come before our God and get on our hands and knees before a holy God and cry out to Him for grace, confessing our sins to Him and to one another, mourning over the disobedience that we have in our hearts and our lives. And yet the likelihood is you're going to walk out of that door again. Forget I ever said anything about your sin. And Satan is going to tempt you and draw you away from Christ again. When's the last time you mourned over your sin? Cry out to God for grace. Confess your sin before Him. Humble yourself before God. And He will lift you up. He will draw you to Himself. Verse 11 and I close. He resisted the devil. Be gone, Satan. He says this. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We make this promise to you this morning. If you'll turn from sin, if you'll come to our great God, you'll find forgiveness. And if you'll come to this church, confessing to your brothers and sisters, I need help, this church will wrap its arms around you and you'll find the ministering of God because he's given us the body of Christ to lift one another up, to walk with one another, to encourage one another, to keep one another accountable. There is great freedom and hope in confession and repentance for you. We need one another to resist temptation. But when you fall, we need one another more than ever. Turn to our God. Encourage, strengthen, grow one another together.